Hello, everyone. Welcome back to yet another special episode of Technically. Um, well, the last episode we had, we had um, Tungai Choto on, who was, uh, who's the founder of, co-founder of Afriblox, the CEO. And he was telling us all about their opportunity that they're having with um, our tech startups, being the first Zimbabwean startup. Uh, and today, we're, we're lucky again, uh, two in one week, that we'll be joined by Prosper Mwedzi, uh, who is a financial services lawyer uh, in the United Kingdom in the greater Southampton area. And he has a lot of history with uh, cryptos and has been pushing cryptos for a very long time. And recently, um, well, I found this out on Twitter. He has um, a private crypto bill he's trying to push. Um, well, I'll let, I'll let the man introduce himself in a minute. Our first, well, obviously, we're not with Rufaro again. Um, the man is busy, uh, but I'm joined by my usual partner in crime, Edwin, um, the media editor at TechSim. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Valentine. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Prosper Mwedzi, and um, I have a keen interest in cryptocurrencies. Uh, my background is uh, I studied software engineering at the University of Zimbabwe before I moved to the UK, uh, and then I've gone into studying law, uh, and I'm a qualified solicitor. I work in financial services. So uh, I, I, I deal with these kind of issues um, now and again uh, relating to digital assets in the UK. Uh, so yeah, it is my pleasure to come on here uh, and have a discussion and share uh, about the uh, legislation which I'm proposing, which is a private bill. Uh, so that means it's not going through the usual uh, legislative process where uh, it's coming, it's originating from the government. Uh, the, the Zimbabwean constitution gives citizens um, a right to legislate uh, on matters of interest. So it's not the usual way of making law, but it's one which is provided for uh, in the constitution. Fantastic. So before we jump into the bill itself and what you're trying to achieve, uh, give us a little bit of background of your history with cryptos, um, because it's, it's been a long and sordid past with you and cryptos in Zimbabwe. Um, the why I ask that is because I was reading about you earlier and um, I saw that you wanted to uh, put a, uh, what's it called, a cryptocurrency backed point of sale um, back in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, which was uh, rejected by the Reserve Bank. So just give us just a uh, well, a, a bigger history as possible with your history with cryptos in Zimbabwe and, you know, in general. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so I got an interest in crypto uh, in the early days. Well, not very early, but around 2010, 2011, uh, when I read the Bitcoin white paper. Uh, but back then, there was too much risk involved. So I, although I thought the idea was quite strong, uh, I didn't see it take off, so I, I didn't pursue it that much. I only let, read about it and then left it there. Uh, but I also then come back in the area, and then I launched one uh, which I believe to be the first cryptocurrency in Zimbabwe uh, before Golix did their ICO. Uh, that was called Vic4's coin, uh, and with Vic4's coin, it was all free for adoption. Uh, it was intended to promote the tourism sector. Uh, I, I thought it was an exciting idea because it would enable people to learn about cryptocurrencies without taking a risk and putting their money uh, into it. Uh, how it would have worked uh, is businesses which uh, have a connection to tourism sector, uh, like hotels, for example, uh, what I was planning to do was to build a platform where uh, they can contact me and they can offer discounts to token holders and uh, it would become like free advertising for all token holders. So any token holder would come onto my website, uh, they would see which companies all over the country are offering discounts and they would go approach those companies, uh, exchange their token for the discount. And then uh, this token was listed on Waves Exchange, which is an international exchange. Uh, they, they could then go and sell it and get foreign currency. Uh, and if the international 
travelers want to come to Zimbabwe, they could buy this token on the exchange and come into the country. So in a way, we would be exporting tokens to the world. Uh, but this uh, plan didn't go to plan because um, at the time when I launched, that's the time when the Reserve Bank uh, banned companies from uh, dealing with crypto companies, uh, which meant because my model was mainly based on businesses uh, being part of the adoption process, uh, it couldn't go further. So that, that's how uh, it all ended. So uh, we, now with this bill, uh, it's a way I am trying to uh, get businesses to be allowed to take part in crypto because at the moment uh, I was looking at the statistics uh, in a week uh, there's over a million uh, in transactions happening in South Africa uh, for people transacting in cryptocurrencies so looking at it from that point if there's uh, a volume of over a million in South Africa uh, it's possible that in Zimbabwe we might even have a higher volume given our uh, currency issues. So uh, this bill would enable people to transact uh, within the system and uh, being regulated. Uh, so basically, yeah, that, that, that is my background uh, in terms of digital assets. Maybe dealing with the XPOS uh, issue which you, you brought up. Uh, yeah, I, I had a business plan and I, I, I had... Um, a partnership with a very big uh, company in the crypto sphere, uh, which was making XPOS terminals. Uh, they are like uh, your visa payment terminals. So the only difference with them is they interact with the blockchain rather than interacting with the uh, legacy financial systems. So for example, you could come with Bitcoin and you could pay for a cup of tea or you could pay for bread in a shop, or you could pay any service provider using whatever crypto you have uh, using the terminal, uh, and they would get their um, they would get their their money. It would come in in Bitcoin, but it would automatically get converted into a stable coin. So that means they are not exposed to the volatility uh, of the market, uh, even if Bitcoin goes up or down. Uh, their money has been secured uh, by being converted into a stable coin instantly. So uh, it would have been um, a, a really, really beneficial uh, project. Uh, and also, uh, before I move on to that, uh, away from that, uh, it also gave the government an opportunity to a digital currency, which, would, which could be hosted on that terminal. Uh, I had already brokered a deal which would have enabled that to happen, uh, but because um, I couldn't get the regulatory clearance for it, uh, I ended up having to shelve it. I uh, see. So I'm curious to know what the changes are now, um, like back then when they banned um, uh, cryptos. Or crypto companies, um, what shift have you seen with the regulatory bodies now that they're more receptive to that? I know we touched on this before we started the, the, the recording, but I wish you'd go over it again so just to explain to everybody, like, is there a palpable shift or are we still where we are way back when? Well, I, I would like to think well, from the evidence I have seen, I think uh, the Reserve Bank, because they, they've taken the lead role in cryptocurrencies, uh, even though my view is that this should be the jurisdiction for the Securities and Exchanges Commission. Um, but because in Zimbabwe, it appears Arabs that uh, are the ones who are taking uh, full uh, responsibility for this area. Uh, I've seen a shift because uh, I, am, uh, I am a lawyer, so I comply with the law. Uh, I don't break the law. Uh, so the, the, I, I have been making efforts all the time to try and get them uh, to do something about it. Uh, I, I, I started interacting with them uh, around 2008, sorry, 2018, 2008. Uh, I spoke to uh, back then the, the, the team which does with banking supervision uh, and 
I, I emailed them several times and they were not responding at all. Uh, but uh, at the moment, I think uh, the relation, I have a good relationship with them now. Uh, I get to update them on developments which are happening globally uh, because it's been a fast moving ball, uh, the cryptocurrency regulation area. Um, since, since then, uh, they, they are coming back to me, acknowledging uh, my correspondence. Uh, I've also had the benefit of seeing the draft policy for fintech regulation. Uh, which should go live at some point. I'm not sure now when it will happen, uh, but this has in mind uh, cryptocurrency companies who want to uh, launch their businesses. Uh, it's uh, like a regulatory sandbox. Uh, regulatory sandbox, how they work is they allow um, new technology to be tested live on the market uh, by relaxing uh, some legislation which may be a barrier to that. So they can relax some laws uh, and enable the technology to be tested on the market uh, whilst they have a, a full uh, handle on what is going on. So th that I think is a very progressive policy which uh, the Reserve Bank uh, is trying to bring, bring through. Uh, but I think there is also a challenge in that this is new emerging technology and uh, the skills, uh, there are very few people with skills and knowledge uh, of uh, this area. But definitely, I think there's been a shift uh, in how the Reserve Bank is approaching it. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So, so earlier you mentioned that... Um, Places like in South Africa, they are people trading in cryptocurrencies in the millions. Um, and I was curious to understand if you have any idea what has motivated uh, the demand for cryptocurrency trans transactions in these markets where the legacy financial systems, they are still sound. They still work fine. Why are people jumping onto these uh, new alternatives way of buying and selling or rather paying for stuff? Well, I think mainly uh, it, it, it's been the, the fact that, you know, uh, the, the legacy systems, uh, though they, they work well and they serve well everyone, uh, the majority, maybe not everyone, the majority of the people, they are still people, yeah, like the young people who are excited about new and emerging technologies uh, and they, 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 they find this uh, technology fascinating because uh, on, on the bigger picture, it's not only in South Africa where it's really taken off. Uh, it's also taken off in America. Uh, and uh, they are quite advanced in how they are using this technology. But I think in South Africa, the other point I should make is that um, some people have seen it as a way of earning a living uh, because trading cryptocurrencies itself can be uh, rewarding if you know what you are doing, uh, especially because uh, they are now derivatives of cryptocurrencies. So if you add in the fact that cryptocurrencies are volatile without adding derivatives on leverage, if you put leverage on it, uh, you can uh, make quite substantial gains from it. So some people who were uh, part of the population who were not included in legacy financial systems who would struggle to access, say, uh, shares on the stock markets. Uh, they are seeing entry into cryptocurrencies having a lower barrier than entry into the legacy financial markets. And they are seeing uh, that they can make a living again out of it. And word of mouth spreads uh, we've seen this year Bitcoin, for example, uh, rise from a low uh, when the pandemic hit of $3,800. Uh, it's skyrocketed to, I think, a high of over $42,000, uh, which is astronomical. Uh, and also then now dropping down and trading at around $8,000. Uh, so that volatility presents opportunities buying the asset itself 
also on a long-term presence opportunities. And also you have other businesses which are being built around cryptocurrencies like mining, for example. I've had a lot of people are mining Bitcoin in South Africa and uh, they are making money from it. So uh, I, I, I suppose it's, a, it's an opportunity which the young can see, uh, but which the older generation are still unable to understand. Uh, I think that's what resonates more with the young people about cryptocurrency. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it sure is a, um, a young man's game, uh, cryptocurrencies, because most of the people who are dealing with it in Zimbabwe and abroad seem to be of a certain generation, uh, probably the millennials uh, going down. Um, so now well, let's shift to the actual bill itself. So you can give us an outline of what the bill is trying to achieve, um, what's in the bill, as well as um, uh, the comparisons of some uh, influences you took in order to, to to draft it. And for those listening, I will leave a link to the bill in the description. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, so with this bill, uh, the title for it uh, is uh, Blockchain Technology and Digital Assets Business Bill. Uh, and from the description, you can see that uh, it, it is targeted at uh, blockchain technology and digital assets, but it's mainly addressing businesses because um, it, it's been a challenge. Uh, some governments have tried to regulate cryptocurrencies as tokens, uh, like they do shares by regulating actual the actual shares. Uh, it, it, this has not been possible with cryptocurrencies because of the decentralized nature. Uh, because as you are aware, uh, Bitcoin doesn't have a company behind it. It doesn't have uh, someone who can be pinned down to say they are the creator for it. We know about the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto as the person or the group uh, which launched it, but nobody knows about their whereabouts. So they've remained in the shadows. And because of that, uh, it made it difficult for governments to shut it down or to interfere with it. Uh, all they can do is get a handle on the intermediaries who are involved. So this bill, that's exactly what it does. Uh, it tries to regulate the intermediaries, those companies which are involved in providing the services because they are the ones who can be controlled. You can get them to comply with uh, KYC. Uh, though I acknowledge this leaves out the peer-to-peer -peer, uh, trading of cryptocurrencies outside regulation, but this is already the case anyway. People are trading it now peer-to-peer -peer and uh, trying to uh, curtail peer-to-peer -peer, uh, is more difficult. It's like trying to have to regulate someone who's got cash in hand, which is impossible because people walk around with cash all the time and they pay with cash. So if it's someone on an individual level, uh, that is not much of a problem, uh, but businesses offering the services, that's where the uh, issue is. Uh, my view for this is that if this bill uh, is to be adopted, it means you will have, uh, you know, genuine parties, genuine companies operating in this space uh, we, under regulation. It, it will promote the development and the use of these uh, tokens for various things within the Zimbabwean economy. Uh, it will enable people to know safe places where they can go and buy cryptocurrencies uh, without fear of being scammed. Because the ban, what I think it's done is uh, it's enabled scams to flourish uh, unabated because uh, they know there's no law. It's like the law of the jungle. People are just doing whatever they want with cryptocurrencies uh, and no one knows what is going on. So uh, the best way is to allow parties who want to get involved, uh, who are not illegal, I mean, we're not doing illicit activities with cryptocurrencies to be able to take part. So this bill, that's what it does. It's intended to give regulators powers to supervise companies so that they can uh, approach regulators, apply for a license uh, and be able to operate 
uh, within uh, the, the, the conditions of the license, uh, which in a way uh, I, I, I think is uh, quite progressive. Uh, and it also will create employment. Uh, it will create revenue for tax uh, you know, services to pay for uh, infrastructure in the country. So it is quite a positive thing. Uh, it will also give uh, the Minister of Finance some control over what is going on uh, because there is always that political uh, side of things where uh, the government may want to affect uh, what policy, how our policies developing in the cryptocurrency space. So it also leaves that door open for uh, the Minister of Finance to intervene if uh, he thinks there's something which may be harming uh, the economy. Uh, so in a nutshell, uh, that's it. But it also gives the Reserve Bank uh, a raft of powers, which include authorizing dealing with the applications. Uh, they will also have to get a fee to be paid to them to cover the cost of the work they do. Uh, so that, that is basically what this legislation is about. It's not about making cryptocurrencies legal tender. It's about uh, allowing people to transact uh, in cryptocurrencies without fear of breaking the law or the directive by RBZ. All right, interesting. Actually, staying on the point of um, RBZ and the Ministry of Finance, uh, can, you, can you give a little bit more light on to exactly what sort of powers they're going to get with this bill if it is adopted, um, what leeway they get, um, the responsibilities they have and the responsibilities that the, um, the operators in the space have? Okay, so in terms of uh, the Reserve Bank, uh, th this legislation will give them the powers because at the moment, the directive which the Reserve Bank uh, issued, uh, I don't even think that uh, if it were to be challenged in court, uh, it would stand because uh, cryptocurrencies are not defined in law. Uh, so it means they possibly are not acting within uh, what they they can do uh, by issuing that directive, uh, and because also it, it dis, it's disproportionate. Uh, I know it was uh, caused by the uh, the issue with Golix. Uh, that is how the ban came by. Uh, it was all to do with the conflict with Golix, uh, which I can't go into detail about because uh, I was involved in advising on that matter. So I, I won't uh, discuss exactly the, the details of that, but that's what precipitated this. Uh, but it seems to be irrational to ban a whole industry because of one business, uh, when you can simply uh, maybe uh, have an injunction uh, to stop the business from doing what they want to do. Uh, so uh, that, that is the problem. So with this legislation now, it will give the Reserve Bank powers to uh to, to accept applications from companies uh and they will be able to issue a license uh the license will specify exactly what activities the business is doing uh for example if it's a cryptocurrency exchange uh they will scrutinize uh the business uh, and make sure that uh the technology they are using is safe uh, and they, the people are not going to lose their money by the exchange simply shutting down and disappearing on them. Uh, and uh, so that, that's mainly what it will do. There are classes of licenses which, will, which can be issued there. Uh, and the, the licenses will specify exactly what the business can do or can't do. Uh, and then uh, with the Ministry of Finance, uh, well, so the, on, still on that, maybe I need to say this. So they will, the Reserve Bank will have powers to grant a license or to refuse the license. If someone makes an application, uh, Section 11, for example, of the of the bill, uh, it, it gives them exactly uh, what they can do, uh, granting or refusing a license. Uh, it also requires the business to be able to display the license at their premises. Uh, and uh, it also gives the regulator the powers to restrict uh, the license under Section 13. Uh, if they think something is going wrong, 
uh, or something is not looking right with the activities of the uh, person given the license or the business with the license, they can step in and they can uh, stop them in their tracks. They can have an investigation uh, of the business to see uh, if everything is okay. Uh, and they could revoke the license if they want under section 15. Uh, it also gives the uh, the licensee uh, some 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 uh, power some not power some rights to challenge uh, a revocation of their license. So it's quite balanced in that way. Uh, and when it comes to uh, how it also specifies how they can uh, issue the digital assets by having a white paper or a prospectus. Are published first, uh, which should be approved by the Reserve Bank uh, as the regulator. Uh, and then uh, when we go on to um, what the Minister of Finance, for the Minister of Finance, uh, the, the only provision in there is to ensure that uh, they can have uh, control because it's financial matters. And with legislation, there's always uh, a, a political dimension to it. So <clears throat> political players always want to uh, have some control over what is going on. So uh, it simply gives the Minister of Finance uh, the power to, to effectively come in and say, no, these activities, we don't want them to be licensed anymore. Uh, and if there's a good reason for it, then uh, that, that would be fine. Then uh, that can still be subject to the usual processes uh, of challenging uh, what, the, um, what, what the decision maker has, has done uh, as usual. All right. Ah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty interesting. And just again, to pick on your brain a little bit, because I promised I would do such, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, from your experience, like with um, with American and British legislation, is there some hint of um, there being a wider adoption of the blockchain technology in a in broader applications that go beyond just the finance sector? Uh, because from Europe, there is it's it seems like it leans heavily on digital assets uh, and trading of them and and such, but um, from my own understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm still learning the space. <laughs> uh, blockchain technology has a variety of applications in, in industry, in contractual work uh, and the like. Um, have you seen such prospects in the existing legislation that you have come across out there? Definitely, uh, yeah, you are right as well on pointing that out uh, because the digital assets section or cryptocurrency as people want to call it, uh, th that is the only first use case uh, because Bitcoin uh, was the first uh, cryptocurrency to use this technology which is called blockchain technology or uh, in simple terms, distributed ledger technology. Uh, this uh, technology, the advantage of it is it is immutable. So once it's been written on the blockchain, uh, you can't go back and reverse a transaction. Uh, well, it's difficult for, for Bitcoin blockchain. It would cost you a lot of money uh, to attack the Bitcoin blockchain uh, because you would need a lot of computational power. Uh, and because uh, the nodes which confirm transactions on Bitcoin blockchain, they are spread all over the world. Uh, it's hard because to be able to uh, undermine it, you need to conspire with other players on the network uh, or you need to have uh, more than 51% computational power. So Bitcoin blockchain simply established use of the technology. It's the first test case of the technology, uh, but it's uh, now become more wider than that. Uh, as an example, I will give you in the U.S., uh, they've had over 40 bills appearing in the Senate uh, for blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies. So that is enormous if you think about it. 
if it was only about cryptocurrencies, you wouldn't have 40 pieces of legislation simply coming in to try and address that. Uh, it's far much wider in application. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, to be part of the independent parliamentary group on blockchain technology uh, in the UK, uh, where we were meeting at Westminster. Um, there were some uh, discussions which were going on, which included uh, major players in the industry being invited. Uh, how they've done it was they were getting companies to come and showcase different use cases under different sectors. Uh, like for agricultural sector, for example, uh, they were they had people coming from the agriculture sector to make presentations. I remember on one of the sessions, uh, there was the head of uh, technology for Lloyd's Insurance Group. So they were showcasing and uh, you know uh, giving feedback to MPs on what uh, the, the, the use cases are in insurance industry. So it's quite widespread. And I'm aware as well that um, UK Land Registry, uh, who uh, supervise the, the register for all properties uh, which are owned in the UK, all land, uh, they are at advanced stages of using blockchain technology for land registry purposes. Uh, because it, 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 it will be more secure and also uh, the, the, the advantage of transparency, which enables people to see who owns what uh, in terms of land with ease. Uh, they, 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 they have a very, very good system at the moment because 90% of the land in the UK is now registered land. So you don't need to have physical title deeds. You simply, um, you simply search online and you can find deeds to any property you want to look at uh, because I've, I, I've practiced property law myself convincing. So I know this area, the, the technology is already really good, but they are even seeing the benefit of blockchain technology despite the fact that they already have a really good system. So it is quite widespread. Uh, what you can apply blockchain technology to. The use cases are quite unlimited, uh, and especially for our economies. Uh, I think I, I, well, I should mention that there is uh, another use case. Uh, there's a, um, an entrepreneur called Victor Mpunga, uh, who is uh, doing uh, digital uh, identity solutions, sovereign digital identity solutions on uh, Argo blockchain. Algo, sorry. Uh, so that is auto making making digital identities on the blockchain, which means you could end up with more people having access to services uh, using this digital platform uh, without having to use physical ID documents, uh, because once they are using the platform, uh, any business which wants to adopt it can use the platform to. Uh, verify their identities. And if you think about it, if we were to have something like this, uh, it would be of much benefit for many, many players in the industry. If you can identify someone digitally, um, you, you, you make it easier for things like uh, identifying them for sale of property. You can make it easy for lending services to be able to identify who someone is which means it becomes streamlined when it comes to lending. It could cut out fraud in ID documents because you still have people producing ID documents which don't belong to them. Uh, but when it's digital, um, there are steps in there which ensure that you have fairly, uh, well, you are fairly confident that the person who is presenting themselves uh, are the actual owner of that ID. All right. So, so those those are interesting applications. I mean, verification of of properties, verification. I think even in applications like uh, like uh, vehicle registration, just to confirm uh, who might be the own the previous owner of the car and where it's registered in. It's something that can be made yeah um, quicker and easier through through blockchain technology. I would 
I would think of, yep. I, w- I wouldn't understand, I wouldn't know of uh, many more other like real world applications that would affect the common man in the street. Uh, but I would also like to bring you back a little bit. Um, you want, You previously mentioned that there has been a lot of traffic in cryptocurrencies because of the opportunities that exist in it. And one of them being um, they can be traded. Uh, people are trading between these coins, between your your Bitcoin, your Ethereum and the like. Um, but is there a place where the cryptocurrency technology as well as the blockchain technology can have in probably a volatile economic environment like the one we have in Zimbabwe? Well, uh, cryptocurrencies are in nature extremely volatile, but uh, I've seen the emerging of stable coins. So with stable coins, they are like uh, pegged to the US dollar, for example. Uh, some of them are algorithmic, so they only uh, they are stabilized by technology uh, and they may not be backed. They are like called synthetic stable coins and things like that, uh, which is more, more, more complex. But the simple stable coin is US dollar backed. Uh, one of the biggest ones being Tether, uh, which is tethered to the US dollar. Uh, it's uh, got the biggest market capitalization right now in the cryptocurrency sector. So those who trade uh, when they are on a, an exchange, for example, and they expect volatility in Bitcoin price, they can jump off Bitcoin and go in a stable coin, exchange it for a stable coin and sit in a stable coin. Uh, then when the market goes up and down like a yo-yo, like it does, uh, you can then jump back on when you think you have a price which is favorable or if the market goes low, you jump on back onto Bitcoin and you make more money as it goes up and you keep doing that. So that's that's how, that's, uh, how this area has now uh, grown to become. Uh, so you, you have those stable coins which are now becoming an emerging issue in the US because they now say they think they could stabilize, they could destabilize the economy uh, but they are backed by U.S. dollars, uh, like Tether. It's backed by U.S. dollars uh, kept in a bank account. So, um, but 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 it's emerging to become a really really uh, interesting area for regulators. Uh, I've seen this year, well, the, in the last year, uh, the U.S. banking regulator, the controller controller of the currency they've issued a banking license to a cryptocurrency project. So uh, this is how the jurisdictions, this technology is now emerging. Uh, And this was not the first one because uh, in Wyoming, the state of Wyoming in the US, uh, that's the state which got the first full banking license, uh, what they call the FDIC. that was a cryptocurrency exchange called Kraken. It's now uh, a bank in Wyoming. So from a cryptocurrency exchange to a fully licensed bank under regulation. So uh, there's no no doubt uh, that, you know, this area is emerging uh, into something big, but I can't see the volatility element uh, going away soon. Uh, But I think with stable coins, they offer a real opportunity, especially in countries like ours where our local currency is not as stable. Uh, if you have stable coins backed by US dollar running along in the market, it enables people to be able to make savings uh, and not see their savings getting eroded by uh, prices going up and down uh, for, for, for the Zimbabwean dollar. Well, sticking with local currency and Zimbabwe dollar, um, we're all aware that Zimbabwe's economy is largely informal and um, they rely on electronic money, uh, which is in local currency, which is not the best since it's, it's, you, no one wants to you know, put their financial security in a currency that's either going to flop tomorrow or the value of it will change overnight. Um, the US dollar has been preferred as, as the option for most because most people who have it are trading in it uh, because there's, some, there's a measure of security in it. So I want to ask with 
cryptocurrencies in Zimbabwe, would it benefit? Well, obviously, will, but what would the benefits be for the informal sector? So if we uh, draw an example from the Taobao program, um, where they, you know, uh, in China, are there correlations or translations to that? Is how that, that sort of system could be applied to uh, Zimbabwe to benefit the largely informal sector? Yeah, I think the informal sector can definitely benefit, uh, especially if stable coins uh, to become a thing, uh, they could quite, uh, you know, change the things a lot because uh, they can enable businesses to uh, hold value in that. But also the other big opportunity I see in uh, having a, an ecosystem of digital assets is not uh, about Bitcoin or all the other global digital assets which are out there. It's about uh, local entrepreneurs uh, coming up with local solutions uh, to our own local problems. Uh, for example, if you take, uh, you, you, you could, for example, have uh, a, a digital currency uh, which is more stable, which is simply backed by, uh, say, a ton of maize uh, if you have an entrepreneur who has a warehouse which is full of maybe 1,000 tons of maize, they could issue a currency which is dependent on that. And someone who doesn't want to trade the cryptocurrency or to hold it, uh, they can have it. They can go to this entrepreneur uh, uh, who has issued uh, the digital asset backed, on, backed with maize they can redeem their token for a, a ton of maize. You could do the same thing over cooking oil. A, a business which is uh, manufacturing cooking oil could issue a token which is backed by uh, a bottle of cooking oil. It could become like butter trade. You could have someone, uh, the cooking oil uh, you know, business uh, and the maize business someone who is cooking oil who wants to trade it for, for maize, they could exchange value without needing to use currency. Uh, and uh, also the other thing, what I've been seeing as a big, big opportunity is uh, maybe having a token which is based on by gold, uh, which will be more stable. If you have uh, the right regulation in place and businesses are allowed to experiment. You could have someone who will have uh, the gold reserves. They could have them kept at the reserve bank uh, for, for making sure that they have the gold uh, and they can trade the token which is backed by reserves which are kept in the reserve bank. And that can be circulating on the market without being hit by inflation. So there are plenty of opportunities uh, for the informal sector uh, which exist. Uh, however, uh, these we are not seeing them coming on the market because no one wants to put money into something they know is illegal uh, unless it's a way of, of survival. So for formal businesses, they are not going to be able to touch cryptocurrencies. And it is a shame because I've been seeing now in the U.S., the trend, because, you know, believe me, uh, people in the U.S. are concerned about devaluation of the U.S. dollar. Uh, they think inflation in the U.S. is going to hit them hard because the Fed uh, Reserve, they are pursuing 2% inflation policy every year uh, for the unforeseeable future because of the coronavirus pandemic. So, most companies which hold the US dollar because they hold large sums of it in a reserve, they are worried that 2% inflation is going to uh, devalue the value of the assets they hold uh, in US dollar. So what they are doing is they are allocating 10% of their US dollar reserves into Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, I will give you an example of a company called MicroStrategy. And you could go and check them out on Google. Uh, they have put in now over one billion in US dollars into cryptocurrency, and they've filed this with the Securities and Exchanges Commission in the US. Uh, and this trend has been going on now. Uh, I think I can talk of uh, uh, multiple US companies, probably in the range of around 10 
which have now done the same thing. Uh, and we are seeing uh, banks like JP Morgan, uh, like, um, yeah, they, they, they are coming around now and saying our uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin uh, is better than gold. So this narrative is now what is shaping up and most companies are doing it. They are allocating 10% of their reserves to cushion themselves against US inflation. Uh, and if you think about that, uh, they are worried about, about inflation on US dollar. The US economy is not that bad. Uh, what would be the case for us uh, in Zimbabwe where our dollar is constantly losing value? We will probably need this more than they do. Uh, that is my, my, my opinion. True, we would need it a lot more than, than uh, you know, uh, it, it, would, it, would, it would create, it would fill a massive need in Zimbabwe uh, for, for, secure, um, for, for secure trading asset. Um, and also even with JP Morgan Chase and all that, we've seen companies like PayPal as well uh, take on um, Exactly, yeah. Uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, so it, it's legitimizing it. And the way Wall Street is just dumping money into, into, into Bitcoin is a, is a shift in the tides. But I feel like Africa is a little bit behind on that uh, continent-wide because I'm not sure. Uh, it was it last month or a couple of months ago? South Africa brought some new restrictions on uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, is this is this something, a trend that you see that um, if Zimbabwe accepts, let's say the bill passes, uh, do you think they will in time begin to curtail it because it's something that is decentralized? Um, and the only, at least from my reading of the bill, um, is that the only thing that they control totally is the access to who has, uh, who can uh, register, etc. Yeah, uh, th that, that, that has been the challenge globally. And uh, I, I can't see now how um, people, our governments are going to be able to ban it. I think in the US, uh, you know, that, 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 that pretty much has gone past the stage of them banning it because uh, the Securities and Exchanges Commission in the US, one of their initial responses to the skyrocketing prices of Bitcoin uh, in the last bull run, which happened in 2017, 2018, when Bitcoin reached 20,000, uh, they brought in derivatives. Uh, they brought in crypto futures as a way of deflating the bubble. Uh, they, they started to authorize uh, companies to have futures like you've got Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which is uh, one of the biggest uh, venues for institutions to trade Bitcoin futures. Uh, and they are launching in February Ethereum uh, futures as well. So in the US, they've pretty much um, accepted it because uh, they can't do anything about it really. Uh, it's disruptive technology and all you can do is try and keep up with it and keep it at check. Uh, so one of the ways they've tried to put it at check is, you know, through the, through the Financial Action Task, task Force, FATF, uh, the FATF rules, which came in this year, uh, they uh, want cryptocurrency businesses uh, to use the travel rule. So the travel rule, which is used in the banking sector, which requires that uh, if you are moving money uh, for someone, then their details moves with the money. So whoever is receiving the money, uh, the institution on the other end should have the details of the person who is uh, sending it. So they are introducing the same. Well, in the EU, in the EU I think uh, they, they've already gone further They've uh, put in the fifth anti-money laundering directive, which came into force, uh, I, I think it was at some point last year. Uh, they have defined cryptocurrencies in the same way as money. So they are now regarded as money in the EU. You have to comply with exactly the same rules for moving money uh, if you are moving cryptocurrencies for an individual. So those are the only measures uh, governments are going to be able to implement in order to have a bit of a handle on what is going on uh, because uh, it is de decentralized technology and uh, there's no way there's no way to stop it. Uh, so if you can't stop it, all you can do is mitigate the risks uh, and try to uh, bring it in and accommodate it. 
because it, it, it's now becoming bigger than anything now, uh, especially if I am to draw on more examples in the US, uh, you know, internet, intercontinental exchanges uh, who are the owners of New York Stock Exchange uh, and other exchanges in America. Uh, they now own a company called Bucket uh, and they do Bitcoin futures as well. Uh, this company is going to be listed publicly. Uh, it will be trading on New York Stock Exchange. So you are now having Bitcoin companies being listed on exchanges uh, for legacy, you know, for, for, for those who want exposure in the stock rather than in the Bitcoin, they will be able to buy stock for the company. Uh, and you've got Coinbase as well, which is the biggest, one of the biggest exchanges in the world. Uh, they are going public. Uh, they've already filed with the Securities and Exchanges Commission. So you, you are having one, crypto exchanges becoming banks. Two, you are having crypto exchanges uh, becoming part of uh, regulated stock markets, becoming, uh, you know, tradable uh, stocks. Uh, and yeah, that is simply, I think, what regulators are able to do. Uh, and not doing anything uh, is not good enough. Like at the moment, uh, I've been seeing scams happening in South Africa because uh, companies, uh, investment companies are telling people, well, if you invest with us, uh, you will get guaranteed income. Uh, you can get up to 20% of what you put in every week, uh, which most of them are scam investment schemes, which are flourishing because uh, regulation is not good enough. Uh, so they are not saving their purpose of uh, protecting the public uh, when these schemes can flourish because uh, they see a vacuum. Because if there's no, um, if there's a ban, people still want to have exposure in cryptocurrencies and they end up going to these dodgy companies uh, where they will invest their money and lose it. So uh, it can't serve uh, the public well uh, if uh, a ban is maintained. Yeah, true. Uh, the scams have gotten a little bit out of hand um, and the lack of a framework then, yeah, like you said, just allows them to flourish. So going back to the bill, uh, so what's the process like for the private bill now? How are we going to, well, how's it going to go into um, the, the parliamentary process? Uh, the, the plan is uh, first of all to run a campaign to make sure that people uh, gain the knowledge they need uh, to be able to understand what is going on because uh, most governments have pushed cryptocurrencies initially uh, as uh, high risk and uh, mainly scams and mainly used for criminal activities by criminals uh, and this uh, has dampened the appetite for the public and most people at the moment you speak to someone and ask him have you heard about bitcoin uh, the first thing they will tell you most most likely is that, uh, well, Bitcoin is used for criminals. It's a Ponzi scheme. Uh, so most people are still uh, in, back in the days because uh, I think the philosophy which was pushed with Bitcoin doesn't make it, uh, it doesn't help the situation uh, because it was mainly about, uh, you know, uh, taking away the establishment. Uh, it was like putting up a fight against the establishment. And in the initial days, that's the message which went across to most governments that, you know, Bitcoin is coming to displace them. It's going to take over uh, the power and control they have, uh, which uh, is not the case. Uh, Bitcoin can work with the system. Uh, it can work alongside the system to uh, give people more access to financial services because the wallets are free. So um, I, I, I think the, the step which, in, which needs to be taken is on the educational front first. So that's my intention uh, to partner with businesses who are interested in getting the message across uh, and selling the benefits of this technology uh, to the communities uh, and also getting uh, people to go to their representatives in parliament, uh, those with the knowledge, um, the MPs with the information they need to have so that when it comes to the bill being debated in parliament, they are already uh, in the know-how, they have an understanding. 
uh, and on that end, I am preparing a, a very extensive research paper, uh, which will uh, be quite useful. It will be written in layman terms. Uh, I have quite a few stuff on Medium. Uh, for those interested, they are good resources uh, for, 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 for just getting the basics on cryptocurrencies. So if there's a massive media campaign uh, and campaign to MPs to tell them to make them understand that this technology is not going anywhere. Uh, it is intended to help the people. Uh, it presents opportunities. Then uh, if that can be done, uh, then when they go to vote, they're not going to shoot it down uh, on first reading because it will be a sad thing if this legislation ends up not making it through uh, because it means we are stuck where we are now. Uh, for a longer period of time. That's real. Um, getting people to understand what cryptos are, even in the basic sense, is probably the best way to translate to them um, that this is a utility. It, it will be useful in the long run if managed properly. Um, and I think that's the biggest challenge is getting everyone to, to understand. And I like what you said that you're going to give um, people a, a layman's reading of it because with most legislation, it's too mired in legal talk. So for most people, when they go two, three pages, they're like, you know what, I don't understand what this is about. And therefore they don't understand why they should care, you know, about whatever legislation is being pushed because it affects everyone. And in a case of giving more yeah. people financial freedom, I think that's, that's a fantastic move to, uh, for anyone who can just pick it up and be able to, to, to interpret it. Yeah, I also think the research paper, if uh, it is circulated amongst all MPs, beforehand and give them time to read it and see how this space is developing globally. Uh, it makes them think again. Uh, and most of the information is in the public domain. It's verifiable. Anyone can Google it. They can find it. Uh, the US banking regulator wouldn't license cryptocurrency companies uh, if they didn't think uh, there's something there. Uh, regulation is more strict, especially in the banking sector. Uh, it, it is like the acid test. Uh, if you see companies passing that standard uh, to be allowed to provide banking services uh, using cryptocurrencies, then certainly that means uh, they, this is a huge development. Well, in the, in the UK, there's no legislation yet. Uh, the, the regulator for the UK financial services, the FCA, they've decided that uh, they're not going to stifle innovation. They are not going to try and apply old securities laws on cryptocurrencies, although they have said if uh, it looks like it is uh, a security, they, they should be approached. Someone needs to approach them and they can uh, have a look at it. Uh, but they, they haven't been uh, like U.S. Securities and Exchanges Commission in enforcing against cryptocurrency projects. Uh, they've been quite open-minded about it and they've admitted the law doesn't cover it. So now they are consulting uh, the public. Uh, there's a legal statement which is out there, which was issued by the Chancellor of the High Court. Uh, it classes cryptocurrencies as property. So they've made it clear they want UK to embrace it uh, and they've said if it hits the court, uh, they will treat it as property and they will protect the rights of users. And maybe it might be important that uh, whilst uh, we, we, we are discussing this, I mentioned one key uh, useful uh, feature which appears on Ethereum blockchain, which is smart contracts. Uh, and this is now the huge, huge uh, thing uh, in, in, in the legal industry and in other industries because smart contracts automate uh, activities which we would otherwise require people to do. Uh, for example, you could have a smart contract uh, for insurance industry. Uh, someone dies, uh, the registrar of deaths issues a death certificate. Uh, it triggers a smart contract to execute uh, with an insurance company because if they had life assurance, uh, it already has a confirmation that the person is dead because a death certificate has been issued. The smart contract triggers, the insurance company processes a payment, 
the beneficiary of the insurance policy, the assurance policy, gets the money in their account without having to uh, go around and fill in a lot of paperwork. Uh, that is a classic use case which is uh, being used for, uh, well, which is being proposed for smart contracts. And if there, there are lots of these things uh, like drafting of contracts by lawyers. Some of these lawyers can be automated uh, in, in code uh, and you don't need a lawyer to interpret whether it's been met or not, uh, or whether someone has breached it or not. So uh, it, it's a key innovation which uh, came out of cryptocurrencies, and uh, you know it, it is what it is, and it, it is good. All right. Um, thank you very much, Prosper, for joining us and for giving us all this information. I'm pretty sure that I have quite a bit of reading to do about cryptos, uh, just beyond them being the currency, but other application and use cases. Uh, thank you very much for joining us and affording us what is close to an hour of your time uh, to give us more insight onto, um, onto the blockchain uh, technology and digital assets business bill 2021. Thank you very much, Valentine. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to come around and uh, share with you as well. All right, uh, don't be a stranger. Just keep us abreast of what's going on with the bill as you go through the process. I, I will do, and I will also write a few articles uh, for TechZim, uh, and we'll uh, get, get along with it together. This bill is not mine. It's not uh, for businesses. It's for everyone. Uh, it's for the benefit of the whole country. Yeah, true that. Uh, and to Ed, who's been suspiciously quiet over the last, I don't know how long. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, mate. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been such an interesting conversation, it's especially just getting to know what other countries are just exploring out there in the cryptos and blockchain space. So, yeah, I was taking notes. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Edwin. All right, thank oh, you. It's a pleasure, bros. All right, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we'll catch you again next time.